0: Um, It's good to be in God's house this morning. As Lance said, happy Father's Day. Um, We are thankful for all the fathers um, in the house, those that are no longer with us. We celebrate them, but it is a good day to be in God's house. But we also came to hear from His Word, and so I want to encourage you, as Lance did, to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And Seth, if you could turn me down just a tad bit. I feel like we're ringing. I'd appreciate that. Luke chapter 15. Um, So a few weeks ago, we started a summer series series called the moral of the story and we're just simply looking at the parables of jesus not all of them but a handful of the big ones and um, so we're looking at these different parables they say that about a third of the teachings of christ were done in parable form a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning uh, the word parable means to cast alongside and so jesus would take these stories with elements in the story that they were very familiar with sheep money farmers seed ground things that they were very familiar with, but he would throw alongside it a heavenly spiritual truth, uh, maybe a description of the kingdom of heaven. And and so a lot of what Jesus used was parables to tell um, these truths. And so there's some different themes we, you know, like last week, David talked about the kingdom of of God is like. So some of them are descriptive in nature. Some of them are the response to an action, an attitude, or a question, which is today. Um, Some of them kind of show us what right behavior looks like as a citizen of the kingdom. And Jesus will even tell a couple of those parables on end times, what to expect in the end times. We hope to cover all of those um, over this 10-week period during the summer. So I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad your scripture is open. And so Luke chapter fifteen, we will today talk about lost and found. And I chose for Father's Day, one of my favorite ones as the the story of the prodigal son. The hero in the story is the Father, of course. Uh, But I love this story. I thought, well, Father's Day, this might be a great one, but I couldn't just use that parable by itself because it's connected with two others. Um, and, and so, what I want to do is just go ahead and read the passage. Let's just get the context, read it through entirely. I'll pray, and then I'll just start digging into what I want to share with us today. So, Luke chapter 15, hopefully you're ready. Verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Would he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her, her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate this point further, verse 11, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found." So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, "'What's going on?' "'Your servant is back,' he was told, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf.' We were celebrating, or we are celebrating, because of his safe return." The older brother became angry. He was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me to do. And in all that time you never gave me even one goat, a young goat, for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. My prayer today is that you would open our heart, open our eyes, open our ears to receive the truth from your word. Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate that you are a good father. Um, And we just ask that we would enjoy our time today in your presence and you would speak to us as you would want to today. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my life, um, I can count on two fingers the time that I saw my dad run. So I'm 5'9". My dad is about 5'4". Um, and He was a truck driver, and one time we lived in this little, on this road in Oklahoma, in Mangum, and um, he'd come home for uh, a minute to just refill his coffee thermos. My dad was a coffee holic morning, noon, and night, he was drinking coffee, and so he stops at the house, and he's refilling the coffee thermos, and I look out the door, and we'd had a fight like we'd had many times before, and I look out the door, and the semi-truck that he was driving, the parking brake released, and it started to roll backwards, and we lived kind of on a hill. And so I'm kind of under my breath thinking, ha, 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 this is good for you, dude. So I said, Dad, your truck's rolling backwards. And then that man had some, like, lightning speed. He ran. It's the first time I ever saw him run. I was like, wow, that dude can move. I can't tell you what happened to the truck. I don't even remember. I just remember my dad running. Another time that it happened, it was a special time for me. I, uh, I was a little honorary growing up. I wasn't a bad kid, but I was just a little honorary. But I was good friends with the DPS, good friends with the sheriff's department, and the police department there in Mangum. So all these guys, not. I don't mean that because I was stopped all the time, I, I was, but that's not what I'm talking about. Stay with me here. I was friends, I mean, we were buddies, and one of the guys that was one of my friends was a young deputy named Sean, and he had the, the canine, you know, the drug dog. And he and I hit it off, we were buds, right? And so I was driving a 55 GMC hot rod pickup, and I was riding around town, and finally I was over by my house, and I look in my rearview mirror and there's lights flashing, and it's my buddy Sean and his sheriff's deputy car, And, of course, I'm like, he's just messing with me or he wants to talk or whatever. So I thought it would be funny to pull over, like, close to my house so my mom and dad would see it. And so I did. And, of course, Sean gets out of his car and he starts walking up. And what I did not expect is my dad in his sock feet running across the road and headed straight to me. In that moment, I was freaking out because, like most kids, I'm like, my dad's going to kill me. He's probably going to embarrass me. He's going to yell at me. It's over for me and all that stuff. But what I expected was that, what I got was something totally that threw me um, off guard. My dad was coming to my rescue. My dad was coming, and he was loaded to bear. He was ready to give an earful to Sean, this deputy. He didn't know. We're buddies, right? He's just mad because you're picking on my son, right? He's driving a hot rod, and that's what you're doing. And so he starts lighting into this deputy. And I'm like, no, 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 don't tase him, bro. It's like his dad, right? Part of me is like, should tase him anyways, right? Just because of all the tension that we had, but... Um, anyways, I was like, trying to explain to him that, hey, we're buddies and he's just pulling me over. We're, we're just talking. It's not a huge deal at all. Um, and so after everything kind of calmed down, I just remember being like overwhelmed at, like, wow. And so a little backstory with me I loved my dad. We were great later in life, but the first probably 18 to 20 years was not good. We did not have a good relationship at all, very tense. And so there were times, even in that lifetime, in that season, that I thought, my dad don't even love me. He probably didn't even care if I'm around. And so it was a very big deal for me the day my dad ran. um, To come in my defense, to come and uh, protect me or rescue me or whatever he saw, it just made a huge impact on me. And I realized in that moment I'd underestimated my dad's heart towards me. Now I share that story because... I feel like that's what Jesus is trying to do with his hearers in this set of parables. They had misread God the Father. They had it wrong, a wrong idea about who God is, what God's expectations are. They also had a wrong idea of who people were. And so they it starts in verse 15 with these first two verses. And so this set of parables is told because Jesus is responding to a bad attitude. Now, but before we go into the parables again, I I would would say this, that I think it's even possible today that we can have a wrong image, a distorted image of Father God. Would you agree with that statement? Now, here's why. Some of you grew up with great relationships with your Father, and so it's not a big stretch for you to say, of course God is a loving, merciful, caring, compassionate Father God, because that's what I've grown up under, and it just makes sense that God would be like that. But if you grew up in a situation kind of like I did, It's a pretty big stretch for us to believe in our heart that God really is a loving and merciful, forgiving Father because we didn't experience a lot of that growing up. Are you following me? So I think it's possible even today for us to misrepresent, misunderstand, underestimate who God is, what God is like. And it was no different in Jesus' time. So Jesus is telling these parables and Jesus is associating with everybody. In chapter 14, we find him having a meal with the Pharisee. And at the Pharisee's house, a lot of sinners and people coming around, they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And in the context of that dinner, he talks about a great banquet. And he says, and he does this in a parable form too, and he says, uh, A man had a banquet, and he went out and invited everybody to come, but everybody made excuses, and they didn't come. And this made him mad. So he said, all right to a servant go out and ask the the cripple the blind all the helpless people invite them to the banquet instead and he said they did and when he came back there were still rooms to go to the highways the, the hedges and compel them to come in to this great banquet and I tell you that those who originally were invited will not be there and so this kinda of teaching was appealing to the notorious sinners of the day right Jesus's message was like hey he's not talking like the rest of the people talk to us and so they wanted to be wherever Jesus was at, and they wanted to hear his teachings. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's good, right? But verse 2, it says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. In that moment, Jesus responds with this Three set parable, two of them he gives us a description um, of what he meant in that parable. The third parable he leaves it he leaves it open ended on purpose, right? And so he begins by correcting an attitude toward these notorious sinners, these bad guys, why would Jesus, the supposed Messiah, hang out with the riffraff? I mean, we're the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He should be spending all of his time with us, right? We're morally superior to everyone else, so it's offensive to them that Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. And so, it angered them, and Jesus responds with the parables. Suppose a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost. So you got a hundred sheep, and you're a shepherd and a pastor. He says, what are you going to do? And I would ask you the question, what would you do? Because Jesus posed the question to them in the story. And in this case, these parables were inclusive in that he's drawing in the audience to kind of make them a part of the story and bring the tension to where it's like, okay, what would you do in this situation? And so Jesus said, a man has 100 sheep, 99 of them there, one of them gets lost. What would you do? And that asked us the question, what would we do? We had a lot of animal lovers in this place, a lot of animal lovers um, in this town and on this planet, uh, I tell you what we would do is we'd probably go look for the lost sheep, wouldn't we? Now, he says the shepherd had 99 and they in the field. Now, they were safety in numbers. They're in the field. There might have been other shepherds nearby that would have kind of watched over their flock while the shepherd left, but he leaves the 99. That's what we say in that last song, the reckless love of God. It's not reckless, but it seems reckless, doesn't it? I mean, why would you leave 99 sheep for one? Just cut your losses and go forward. I mean, it's just one, right? But what Jesus wants us to see is he's revealing the heart of his father like they'd misunderstood. He says, I want you to get a clear understanding of what my father is like. And that sheep, that one sheep is valuable to my father. So the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes after the one sheep searching for him. So we see... A picture of a shepherd searching for the lost sheep, and it says when he finds it, he carries it on his shoulders, and he gets back, and it's party time, right? He says, hey, the sheep that I was looking for that was lost, I found him. Come celebrate with me. And Jesus gives us the the, the moral of this story, if you will. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner. One lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In this case, the 99 others are the Pharisees. And they hadn't strayed away. In their mind's eye, they'd never sinned, right? But he says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Have you ever just considered that when someone places their faith in Jesus? For us, when we, we do a baptism, right, because that's the outward expression of what's happened, and when we do a baptism, that's why I think that these baptism services need to be amped And celebrations, right? Because somebody has given it off to Christ, and if they're celebrating in heaven, how many know we need to celebrate in church, y'all? Right? So he says, he he says, there's more joy in heaven when one sinner repents. This is the Father's heart, right? They're angry, but he said this is the Father's heart, like the shepherd. It goes after the one, leaving the ninety-nine, so that he could retrieve and bring him home. All right. So, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. What would you do? It's implied, it's not asked there, but what would she do? What would you do? Ten coins, you lose one. Uh, You know, that kind of stinks, but I still have nine coins left. Just go on and just, you know, I've lost a $20 bill out of my wallet before at Walmart. You know, it happens. So just go on with your life and be happy that you still have the nine. Well, the the coin that she lost was a drachma, if that's how you say it, in the Greek. It's all Greek to me. But it's a coin she dropped, and that was representative of one day's wage. And so it was valuable to her. And so in this text, we see that she searches carefully. She says, won't she light a lamp and, and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? So here we see a picture of a woman losing a coin and moving everything, getting the broom out, turning on the bright light and sweeping until she hears that jingle or she catches that coin out of the corner of her eye. She searches carefully, why? Because the coin is valuable to her. Jesus wanted them to know that the sinner is valuable to God, right? And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. It's a big deal to her. And then again, he gives us the moral of the story. Verse 10, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels whenever, when even one sinner repents. So we see there's joy in heaven when one sinner repents, and there's joy in God's angels when one sinner repents. Do we see the heart of the Father yet? They're mad that Jesus is associating with the riffraff and Jesus is saying, hey, you're misrepresenting the Father. You need to understand what he's like. Those people, these people that I'm associating with are precious to my Father. He loves sinners. They're valuable to him and all of heaven rejoices and all of the angels in God's presence rejoice when even one of them repent and turn to the Father. When that which is lost is found. And again, to illustrate the point further, he goes into this third parable, the one I think is many of our favorite, of the man with two sons. Now, why did the young boy ask for his inheritance? I've read where it is kind of familiar in some cases where that would happen, but not normal. And so what happened in that culture was if you were the firstborn son, you would get a double portion of the estate. So in this case, with two sons, the older son would get two-thirds of dad's stuff, and the younger son would get one-third. And it would happen after the father had died. And so um, this young man comes to a father and says, Hey, dad, um, I want to treat you like you're already dead to me. Go ahead and give me my inheritance. That's what a lot of people say. It's it's like saying, You don't mean anything to me. Just go ahead and give me my inheritance. I want to go live my life. And he, for whatever reason, the father does it. He divides it up, gives him his inheritance, and he goes on. And it says there, I mean, he's got no income. It's just all gas, no brakes, party time, goes into a distant land and wastes it all. And when you know it, this is how it always works out. Whenever you're on the land like that, you know, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. You've heard that about sin. So when he runs out of everything, a famine hits. It goes from bad to worse, and there's no food and provision. And so he finds a local farmer, now you, Jesus is telling this as a story, not a literal thing that happened, but as a story to prove a point. Now imagine the listeners, the Pharisees, right, the morally upright, righteous dudes that are hearing Jesus tell this story about a Jewish boy who takes a job feeding pigs. You don't do that. That's unclean. You're nowhere near the pigs, but in Jesus' story, he finds this young boy, feeding, longing to be um, eating the pods that he was feeding the pigs, working with the pigs. And then finally, the beautiful part of this story is when he finally came to his senses. Now I know a lot of parents over the years that can identify with this story had a prodigal child. And their prayer, their longing prayer is when they come to their senses. Man, if they would just just figure this thing out and turn around, come to their senses And make the wise choice. And so it says when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger as a son. And back home I was the son and I I gave up that right as a son when I said, dad, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. But back home the hired servants have more than enough food. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll go home to the father. And I'll say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. I forfeited that. Would you please take me on as a hired servant, right? So in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. Again, I wanna pause and say, what would you do? If you're in father's shoes, what do you do? Because in their culture that day, and, and Honestly, the way we sometimes think about how we would handle this situation, um, it was not going to be easy for this young man coming home, uh, because he was going to be ridiculed. It was a shame to the parents what he had done, and so as he's entering the village, I can just see the people go, oh, here he comes, this disheveled-looking young man, and so he's coming to the father hat in hand, and the question is, what would the father do? Because... They would expect for the father to meet him at the gate and said, you're not welcome in the home. You've got to grovel, you've got to work, and you've got to earn your way back into the family because you screwed it all up, son. That's what they expected. That's what the Pharisees expected. So Jesus is telling this story, and he paints a completely off-the-wall description of what the father does in this case. It says, the young man returns home. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran. Now, in those days, men, noblemen, did not run. It was kind of a disgrace thing. You had to gird up your loins, showing your legs, little, little legs, and you took off running. They just didn't do that, right? So, in this story, that seems preposterous to the Pharisees that a man would run in public and it's what it says. He said he saw him He was filled with love and compassion, so he, he ran to his son. And he didn't slap his son. He didn't give him the, the, you know, the, all, all the, the you know what you should have done and, and you're a dirtbag and all that stuff. It says he ran to him, he embraced him, and he kissed him. Probably didn't have a chance to have a shower after feeding the pigs. I'm sure it was probably filthy and gross. And if you're a Pharisee here in the story, you're like, ugh, why would he do that? His son said to him, Remember the, 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 the speech that he had rehearsed? Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but his father stops him. He doesn't let him get the full thing out. He says to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, get a ring on his finger. They say that the finest robe in the house would have belonged to dad. And so if anyone is going to get that, it would be the firstborn son. But in this case, the father says, bring the finest robe, the one that I would wear, and you put it on my son. And go ahead and bring a ring. A ring was um, a signal of authority. Like if you were to stamp a letter, they would impress it in wax on a ring. And so it was kind of like speaking on behalf of the family. Again, the oldest son would have had that. And he says, bring a, fi- a ring and put it on his finger. And bring the sandals and put it on his feet. He restored him fully as a son. And I just got to be honest right there. I struggle sometimes with that concept. Somebody that screws up that bad. Somebody that, that blows it to that level. And to hear the story of how this father in Jesus' story responds, I find myself kind of with the Pharisees in this category going, that just doesn't seem fair. But you know what I've learned? Grace for some people isn't fair. David preached last week about the workers in the vineyard, those that started working early in the morning, those that worked at the last hour and they all got paid the same. If you're the guy that started at eight in the morning, you're like, that ain't fair. But how I many you glad that we don't operate off of a fairness system? We have a God who's just, right? And so it's his to do with what he wants. And so in this moment, I would say, that ain't right. That ain't fair. This guy took a third of your income. He blew it all. And here he comes back, and you're just going to restore him fully? Aren't you going to make him prove himself to you or apologize or, you know, whatever it is that they did in those days? And and so it says he put his robe on him, a ring on him, and and, and shoes, sandals on his feet. And he says, kill the calf that we have fattening. Um, We must celebrate with a feast. To, To kill a calf was a big deal. It's a big banquet, reminiscent of the one told in chapter 14, a big celebratory banquet where everyone in the village would be available to attend. The purpose, he says, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. So the party began. I'll stop there for just a moment. I'll get back to the son in a second. So what have we learned so far in the parables? We learned that sinners are valuable to God. That, that sinners uh, have worth to God. Um, he, dil- he illustrates that with a shepherd. He illustrates that with a, the coin. And here with a picture of a father responding in a way that may not make sense to the listeners. And it may seem like a reckless love from their perspective. But that's what we see. And that is the clear picture and definition of what Jesus wants his hearers to see about Heavenly Father. Remember, it was told because they had an attitude about Jesus hanging out with those sinners. They were criticizing Jesus. They were murmuring against Jesus because he would associate with such lowly scum. Why would he do that? And Jesus says, Hey, you misrepresent, misunderstand what the Father's all about. And he shows them in these parables that the Father values sinners. And I would add to that, we should too. Amen. The father values sinners; we should too. And so, you see these cases. He kind of in, injects, if you will, the people into the story to make them feel the tension. What would they, what would they do? Right? What would you do? Well, we know what the father did. He responded in a way that just kind of blows our mind if you think about it. If you were in the, the prodigal son's shoes, or whatever it was, he was maybe he was barefoot. I don't know. Sandals coming home, and to hear the father respond like that, how many know it'd be overwhelming? But there's another character in the story, and this is where Jesus ties the Pharisees because they represent the older brother. It says the older brother, who has the same attitude as the Pharisees, I might say, was angry. After he was told what was going on, he's like, "Mm mm-mm, I ain't got no part of that. In fact, I think dad's an idiot for doing it. He's probably what he said. Don't know that, but he probably thought it. It says he wouldn't go in. And I love this. It says his father came out and begged him. So in this we see the father loves sinners, but he's not leaving the Pharisees out. He came and begged them, begged his son to come in. This is Jesus saying, hey, the kingdom is for you too. And I'm begging you to trust in me. I'm begging you to gain entry to the kingdom as well. I love the lost sinners, but I love you too. But there was a problem because the Pharisees didn't think that they needed repentance. They're morally Superior to the other guys they felt like they had it all figured out and so they find themselves in a position of judging And so it says the father begs him to come in, but he replied all these years. I've slaved for you, but your son But we see what his attitude was, right? It wasn't a loving relationship with a father building the family business. It was like I slaved for you And never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I mean, you give this guy the fattened calf. I would have thought that that would have been mine, but you didn't give me a goat, Dad. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father responds, verse 31, his father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. He dispersed all of his stuff to the sons at the beginning of the story. It's all yours anyways. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Notice the next verse starts with a new story, talking to his disciples. So Jesus walks away, and between uh, verse 32 and chapter 16, verse 1, if there was a microphone created back in the day, Jesus dropped the mic, turned around, and walked away. And he leaves the story Open. And so if you're a hearer, they're like, well, what happened? What did, what did the father do to the older son? What, what about all those people in the room that were partying? And, and they got to know that the father stepped out to talk to the son. What happened? How does the story end? And I think Jesus is saying, it depends on you, to the original listeners, to the Pharisees. How does the story end? Who do you relate most to? Because I'm sharing the, the father's heart. and The father's heart is he loves the repentant sinner. He loves them. They're valuable to him. He cherishes them. But to the Pharisee who was so caught up in rules and regulations and even legalism to get angry with Jesus, associating with the very ones he says he came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad that he seeks and saves the lost even today? Uh, let me just let you know in a little secret, and this might come as a shock to you, but all of heaven is occupied and will be occupied only by repentant sinners. Think about that for a second. The Pharisee can can't inherit a eternal life or entrance into heaven because no one is good enough. Their works, their piety, their, their, their legalism, their rules, and all that stuff was not good enough. And so all of heaven is filled with, occupied with these Repentant, keyword, repentant sinners, of which you and I, if you've placed your faith in Christ, um, are included. Because we should come to the point in our life where we hear the gospel, we recognize our sin, and we recognize our need for a Savior. And we say, God, would you please forgive me of my sins? I repent, I turn from that sin, and I'm trusting in you for eternal life. That's a repentant sinner saved by grace. And let me tell you something else, and this might... Offend some of you, but I don't really care. Legalism hates grace. Legalism hates it. Why? Because we got these rules, these regulations, and these expectations, and what we feel like people should do to be counted among the worthy. And grace, we see in this and the parable from last week, that he is the one and only the one who, who gives it freely to all who trust in him. And it doesn't seem fair. It does seem reckless. And to the legalist who spent their whole life doing everything, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted, they've got a perfect Sunday school record, they read from the proper version, um, they, they tithe, they do all the things, right? And that legalism hates grace. But it's exactly what Jesus wants his readers, his listeners to hear, and for us to hear as well, the Father still loves sinners. He still values them. And so the question would be, do we? W- what is our heart toward the marginalized, the people that, you know, frankly, we see them, we're like, oh, I don't want it. nothing to do with them. I'm not going to associate with them. They're the, the bad people. I'm going to huddle up with my Christian friends, and that's all I'm going to do. And we just start getting a bad attitude. Let us remember that the Father loves those notorious sinners. He values them, right? And that should be our same heart. And when we hear of one that repents and comes to salvation, we should be among the first to say, praise God, this is awesome, right? They included them too. Because if we're not able to do that, maybe we don't realize just how awesome it was that he saved us and remember from how far he saved us from. And so our heart and our attitude should be, the same as the father and not like the Pharisees who resented Jesus for doing that. And he left the story open. How would they respond? If you just play this thing forward, Jesus is saying, hey, I am like the father who loves the repentant sinner, the son, those who come back to me. We celebrate and there's joy in heaven and among the angels. That's me. How did they respond? They killed him. They killed Jesus. As the, the friend of sinners, the one that came to seek and to save the lost, they killed Jesus. Jesus, the good news is he didn't stay there. Amen? Three days later, he came out of the grave, and he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he's ascended at the right hand of the Father, and today we worship a risen Savior. He lives, and I still got good news for you. He's still in the business of saving the lost. Right? So let me have you a few questions, or give you a few. How do we view people uh, that are caught up in sin? Do we look down on them? Do we feel morally superior to them? Do you want nothing to do with them? My wife and I ate lunch yesterday, one of my favorite places to eat, and we sat at the bar for the first time. I mean, all this liquor is just right there. And I'm like, this is awkward, the preacher sitting at the bar drinking a Dr. Pepper, y'all, all right? And I thought, hey, place was full, let's just sit at the bar and I'll eat some food, and drink my Dr. Pepper, it's all good. And sitting down from us were a couple of young men, and they were just go. And there, some of this stuff coming out of their mouth, I really was tempted to go. Do you kiss your mama with that mouth? Or, hey, do you see a lady sitting here with me? You know, what's your mouth? Or, hey, let me invite you to church. Oh, that's a fun one right there. It's like you start letting them go and go and go, and they're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know? No, I'm going to do that. It's kind. But how do we view them? Do we see ourselves as morally superior to them? Like, I'm glad I'm not a lowly sinner like them? Can I tell you something? I was. And I asked my wife, I said, do you miss that? Because that was me years ago. She said, no. So, Jesus intentionally spent time with sinners. He wanted to show them a better way. He wanted to show them hope, and I would say the kingdom is occupied with repentant sinners. And so the question is, in this story, are we more like Jesus in a sense, where we love them like Jesus loves them, or are we more like the Pharisees who feel like we're better than they are? I think what Jesus would want us to see today would be the heart of the Father, to not misread or misrepresent him, to say, you know what, if he was that way with them, maybe we should soften our heart and I'm not saying that we don't back off of truth. I'm a big truth guy. But how I many you know the approach sometimes can be softened from us as followers of Christ, right? So it doesn't mean I, I back away from truth, but it's just like if Jesus loved them, maybe I should too. That's what we learn in these parables. So the, 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 the moral of the story as a whole is God is vitally concerned with the repentance of sinners. He's vitally concerned with the repentance of Sinners, And so, are you like Jesus in this sense, do you love those people? Or are you like the Pharisees where you look down on them? And I'll ask another question this morning, because there's another son in the story, are you like the prodigal son? Have you wandered away and strayed and you're struggling in your faith and you find yourself in a, in a predicament where you're like, this is not where uh, I wanted to be, this is not what God wants for me, can I just paint a better picture for you of your heavenly father? Your heavenly father is longing, like the father at the end of the road, long way off, looking, eagerly, waiting, watching, anticipating your return. And and I I know how I was raised, and so my thinking is, yeah, he's got a big sledgehammer, he's going to pound me on the head as soon as I get close to him because of all I've done. That's not the image we see from this parable. It says, filled with compassion, filled with love, he embraced. He kissed. He restored. That's the God that we trust in. That's the God that we run to, amen? Maybe you're here today and you, you find yourself there. Can I just tell you to run to that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God because He loves the repentant sinners. And if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Him, can I just tell you the most important decision you and I can make is what do we do with Jesus? But let's not forget that as we live on this earth, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, right? And so there are going to be things that we're going to experience in this world. They're going to be appalling. I see them every day. I hear things every day, and and, and I want you to know I'm loaded and ready to fire my keyboard warrior. (laughs) And you know what stops me most of the time? I'm a pastor. (laughs) Can't do it. The reality is, is we live in a, a fallen world, and we're to be in the world but not of the world. And so we're separated from the world, but we live our lives in a way that should be attractive and appealing to those very people that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But it starts with an attitude. And so I would say that if we adopt an attitude where we look at one particular group or one particular sinner, and it may be a group, it may be an individual, somebody, can you believe what they did? And we're dialing up the phone. Can you believe this? Can you believe that? What is our heart toward them? What it should do is make us say, oh, God, please let them come to their senses. Please let them turn to you again. Please let them realize the error of their ways and open their eyes and restore them so that we can all celebrate with great joy, just like the angels and all of heaven do when they turn to you. Now, How many of you are glad that he's the one in control and not you and me? He is so awesome, so loving, so compassionate and merciful. And I'm so grateful that he includes you and me. To those who call upon the name of the Lord, he says, shall be saved. That's good news, right? I don't know where you're at today or how this speaks to you, but I pray that you and I will respond in a way that would honor him and reflect his heart. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to just share it. God, I'll be honest, there are things that we read in Scripture sometimes that are easy for us to track with, and there are things that just make us stop, and our mouth is open, and we're maybe even low-key offended. We don't understand it, but I am so thankful that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And God, I'm thankful that you value the sinner. I thank you that you show us that you search carefully for that lost sheep or that lost coin or that you eagerly wait with a great anticipation of the arrival uh, of a wayward son or a daughter. God, I thank you um, that that's the father that we trust. That's the father that we we love and we want to serve. And God, I pray that you would just soften our hearts the same way that we would be able to see people like you see people, that we wouldn't misrepresent you, that we wouldn't misunderstand you, whether it be for our own benefit or for the benefit of other people, but God, that we could be your hands, your feet, Lord, and live our lives on this earth the way you modeled for us, and we would honor you. Lord, if there be someone here that's not placed their faith in you, I pray that today you would just move in their heart and let them see you standing, arms open wide, ready to receive them. Lord, thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. They will never be able to fully wrap our minds around God. To you and you alone belong all the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.